Welcome to the latest episode of Nickel City Soundtrack. In this, we talked to Craig Satari of the band Sick of It All. While we know Sick of It All is not a Buffalo hardcore band, they do have a tie or a few ties to Buffalo. They played here many times uh, at the River Rock Cafe and other venues. They took Snapcase to Europe for the first time. They toured with Dead Hearts. So we thought Craig was an appropriate uh, interview subject to have on the podcast. We actually tapped Daryl Taberski to help with the interview. So Chris and Daryl interviewed Craig ahead about his, uh, you know, his hardcore career, his band, stuff like that. And he told some pretty cool stories. So enjoy this episode and we will see you on the next one. Welcome to the latest episode of Nickel City Soundtrack. Today we're doing something a little different. Uh, we've got Craig Satari with us. What's That's up, you, Craig? What's <laughs> up, guys? Here's Sarah uh, saying hi to Craig and dipping out. <laughs> Sitting in with me today is uh, Darrow Taberski from Snapcase. Hey, what's, what's up, up guys? D? What's up, hey. buddy? And, and, you know, of course, Solid State. And uh, everybody else is off wandering Buffalo preparing for the uh, Naughty Coast Takeover show. Yes, and uh, everything else coming up. So me and Daryl are going to run with this. And uh, since Daryl is a guest host, he can have to take the first question. All right, cool. So, um, Craig, obviously, you know, we've we've done some touring together. I, I <laughs> We've, we've hung out a lot, but there's a lot of things I, I still don't know about you. So I, I was thinking about this today and I prepared some questions. So I hope you right. drink. I hope you drink some coffee and you're ready to. <laughs> I drank to four cups this morning, but it's late. Right. So, but yeah, let's go. Let's go with it. All <laughs> right. So tell us, tell us a little bit about growing up before you got into music before that. Tell us what growing up was like for you as a, as a kid. I grew up in Queens in Bayside, Queens. You know, a, a decent neighborhood, a lot of real hoodlums there, though. So my influences when I was young were uh, mostly kids that wound up dead or in jail. And, uh, you know, I, I blame it on the 70s, you know, but uh, I think it was partially the neighborhood I grew up in, which actually, like I said, wasn't really a bad place. We just had a bunch of bad seeds there. So uh, it was, you know, I, I kind of got knocked around as a kid a little bit and I uh, had some some uh, influences the people I looked up to weren't necessarily positive, but uh, I think it was the time and place, you know, and the situation I was in. Uh, so, yeah, it was a, it was a, you know, I don't think kids grow up like I did today. I don't think many kids grow up like that. I may be wrong about that, but it just seemed like it was, a, you know, like the way the times were back then. So did you have a lot of freedom, a lot of, you know, liberty to kind of like, roam around and, and, and come home yeah, later oh yeah. and things like that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I grew up just with my mother and my brother. Uh, my father wasn't around. 
Uh, you could pretty much go out and do what you wanted and come home whenever you wanted. You know, you're supposed to come home at a reasonable hour, but, you know, it, it, nobody could control you back then, you know, me or, or the kids that I, I ran around with. So we'd run around till all, all hours of the night, do whatever we wanted. It was like a different world, you know? So there was a lot of freedom though, but that, you know, my mother was really, uh, my mother was all about letting me find myself and be who I want to be. So, uh, you know, on one hand, it was a lawless time and I was a wild kid. On the other hand, you know, my mother showed me a, a lot of love and uh, and was respectful with me growing and becoming who I was. So uh, Daryl had pointed out or brought up something to us before the podcast. I'm probably stealing one of his questions. But uh, what was Crab Society? Oh, wow. Going right to that. Crab Society was me and Danny Lilker, you know, Danny Lilker from, from Nuclear Assault. And, uh, yeah. Brutal Truth. First bay, bass player for Anthrax. That was he and I getting really drunk and stoned. And in my room. Yeah, yeah. In my This is back in like probably like 1982, I guess, or whatever it was. It was he and I getting really messed up. And uh, I was little. And uh, we, we basically, uh, I had a bass cabinet. Uh, an old plush bass cabinet and head and we hung a microphone in front of it down in front of it so one guy would play bass through a wah-wah distorted bass through a wah and the other guy would sit in front uh, right up against the microphone in front of the bass cabinet with a tape case an old school plastic uh, tape case which was like cardboard covered in plastic and uh, we had one drumstick and we had a screwdriver that we covered in some some electrical tape because we didn't have a second drumstick and one guy would play the drums, hit the mic as a cymbal, hit the cabinet as a cymbal, and we taped <laughs> and we and we we taped a beer can, a Meisterbrow can. We taped it with that uh, electrical tape to the to the tape case. So that was like our our ride cymbal. I mean, excuse me, our hi hat. So we'd go, we play off that stuff. And the guy who was playing drums would be singing. And the mic would be right here. So you'd be playing and singing into the mic. <laughs> and right there was the amp with the with the you know distorted wah bass coming through, so it was like our own little demo we made. Like so, we just we were really like high and and, and drunk, and we just made up songs and went. What was, was that very experimental? Like? That 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 was like the beginning of I would say like extreme, like noise metal or what? What would you call that, Chris? It's like uh, what influence band? I, it, like the guys in. Uh, a lot of the early like guys in bands like uh, Napalm Death, they say that that was their influence for the style that they play. Really, like, like Napalm Chain, Death said the Crab Society was an influence to their their brand of grindcore. They said it was the first of that type of music, and it was like the blueprint for the 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 the, the furthest reach of what they were doing. In other words, it was like the blueprint for the most extreme kind of like strange metal hybrid stuff it was pretty experimental and it sounds pretty crazy if you ever heard it no you've heard it is it so can people find that on on youtube no uh i don't know i don't know if it's available it was like a demo from 1982 i was like 13 you know and like it was just like on a cassette like a little cassette tape and did some of those songs did some of those songs lead to sod uh, well, SOD did something called the Crab Society North, which was when they recorded that SOD album. They did their version of the Crab Society from their studio on their downtime. 
So it, it, the production's probably a little better. But yeah, it's like the, it's like the same the same idea. It's those guys doing the same thing we were doing, just having fun, like making up like an experimental demo with songs you made up on the spot. Now, aren't awesome. you credited as writing some stuff on the SOD record, or am I wrong on that? No, no you're wrong on that. They were going to do a couple of those little mayhem songs, which were almost like Crab Society songs, the little like, you know, little 10 second joints. They were going to do a couple of them, but they wound up just writing their own instead of doing the ones that Mayhem, NYC Mayhem at the time did a couple of those in their set. So however, it just fell together. Cool. So, you know, I, I want to get into this a little bit more about like. The I'm, digging the glasses, I'm digging the glasses, Daryl. I'm digging. I'm digging the glasses. You look great. <laughs> I'm digging it. You look both of you it's guys. A, are the gla- I gotta, I listen, gotta it's not glasses. by choice. This is not by choice. This is not by choice. You know, can you do? I got, well, you know, hey, I got got the glasses with the rope. I'm sorry. I got the glasses with the rope around my neck. Yeah, well, rub it in. (laughs) Even better. With the rope, old man style, you know? All right. Yeah. Dude, I I rocked those for a long time, so I wouldn't lose them in the pit. What do you Um, do for a living again? You're an electrician? No, not even close. I, 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 uh, no. I gotta, remember. I can't. No, I did do electrical work at one time in my life. I've done a lot of things, but I got a master's in social work and I'm in management. Okay, work okay, for a big, okay. It's, it's boring. But uh, okay, let's okay. let's get back electric- into I thought you were like a licensed electrician guy. That was, that's that's, I thought that too, to be honest. How funny. Did, no. you, ever, did you ever get licensed or no? <laughs> no. No. I, I, I did that I for a while. From? That's, that's where right. I'm getting it from. But let's get into the good stuff. So I want to know, like, how you first got into, like, first of all, tell us, what was the first music that you really got into? And then after that, how did you first get into punk or metal or hardcore? All right. So when I was six years old in 1976, my mother brought me the Grease record for Christmas. And uh, I saw that movie and, you know, the songs, I still like that record, actually. And uh, so I thought that was a good record. Yeah, it really is. And right at that time, I heard the first Black Sabbath album. So what happened was my brother and uh, his friend Lyman, this guy Lyman, who was my friend too. I talked about guys that I grew up with that were like like bad, bad guys, but they were good guys. So Lyman actually locked me on a rainy day. He locked me into his bedroom. And well, first what they did was they pretended they were shooting heroin. They had a needle and they filled it with water. They filled it with water and they were like shooting into their arms and pretending they were like passing out. And then they forced, they held my arm down and they stabbed me with the needle. And they told me like, oh, you know, you're doing heroin. And I was like crying. I was like six years old, terrified. And then after they did that, I was like, oh my God, I'm doing heroin. And then uh, they locked me in a room and it was a rainy day, like a really bad day. They locked me in the room, turned the lights off and put on the first Sabbath album with, you know, the thunder on the first song. And I was oh, yeah. like crying and I was crying and scared. I was six years old. So, uh, you know, I ran home crying later on. You know, I didn't wrap my brother out to my mother, but I was mad at him. And then I uh, like ne- the next week I, you know, came back to Lyman's house. I was like, I want to listen to it again. I'm not going to cry. So it was like a challenge. And uh, I actually was like, this is really good. Awesome. So how did you get into, into punk or, or metal or. Um, you know, my, whatever records my brother brought home when I was a kid. So he would bring home sabbath records at first some uh, early aerosmith records and uh later on like some van halen and you know things like that and just from getting into like rock 
I got into some metal, like the new wave of British, British heavy metal. Like I was like Motorhead and uh, early Judas Priest and stuff like that. And then the first Iron Maiden album came out. And then uh, what happened was my brother went to school with Danny Wilker and Danny Wilker was going to, he was teaching my brother to play bass because my brother was going to play bass in the first rendition of Anthrax when they were going to be just a cover band. So uh, he brought a bass to my house and Danny would teach my brother bass, but I cared about it more. So within a couple months, I was already playing bass and he was teaching me stuff like Sabbath songs and kink songs and, you know, some like some stuff like that, like rock stuff. And then he started feeding me uh, records. You know, he started giving me like uh, a lot of new wave of British heavy metal stuff at first, which graduated into like uh, Discharge and the Exploited and GBH and then on to like, you know, the Agnostic Front, United Blood, Seven Inch, Bad Brains, you know what I mean? Like the early like New York hardcore stuff, The Mob. So uh, Dave Dacuzzi also turned me on to a lot of that stuff when I was young, who was a roadie for The Mob. So uh, it just all started piling in. Once like the, you know, from 82 on, it was like this morph of like rock, metal and hardcore and punk and, you know, and then it just So what's, really... your, what's your first show from there? My first show was uh, my first hardcore show was '84 at CB's. I went to see uh, Adrenaline Overdose, uh, uh, Bodies in Panic from New Jersey, and uh, uh, what was a Malignant Tumor. They were like a, a band from from New York. So that was my first show. That was sometime in '84. I don't remember exactly when. Wow, AOD. Okay. Yeah, AOD was great. Fast. And, and, and as soon as, yeah, as soon as I went to my first show, I was there every week. I was so, like too young to like go in on so, my own, you know? So here's a question. Do you think, is it the music that's kept you around for so long or the energy from the shows that's kept you around for so long? Uh, it's both. It's, the, you know, I'd have to say the energy from the shows has a lot to do with it. It's the community. It's the uh, ability to, to communicate with people. You know, it, it's like, it's like, an, it's like an, at this point, I look at it with a little, uh, I'd say a little wider eyes. At first it was just getting those, those pent up feelings out of being like a frustrated little kid, you know, that had like a rough childhood, I guess. Like most kids get drawn to it. There's a little something wrong with all of us that get into hardcore, you know, we're all a little bent. We're all a little messed up and that's sort of like our outlet. So that, that was it. But um, the whole idea that you can write this music and perform it and speak within it and it goes out to the whole world is a very, very important thing. And the, the more mature I become, the more I realize that I've been blessed with this opportunity to communicate with people. Not everybody's listening. You know, you're not changing the world, but you're certainly able to, uh, you know, exchange ideas with people. So it's a, uh, it's a great thing. And the, the more time goes by, the more I cherish it. Realize how lucky I am to be a, a part of it and have a, a pretty substantial role within this scene that we're all a part of. Um, I was talking to, uh, to Mark and Chris before we got started. And um, one of the things I wanted to ask you to do, and we'll see how this goes, but I want to bring up the different bands that you've been in. And have okay. you describe describe each one in a couple words? Okay. Right. Or or, so, or if you can't describe it in a couple words, maybe throw out like a favorite like story from that time when you were in the band. I can do so, both. So let's start Great. with uh, start with straight ahead. 
uh, straight ahead, uh, pure, uh, youthful energy, just thrown out like a ball of fire. Um, uh, really like uh, all of us discovering this thing that we all share at a young age. It was uh, really excited about everything, you know, and uh, just really proud to wave the flag of New York hardcore and just to be recognized amongst uh, our peers and the older uh, members of the scene. We just wanted to be seen as, as you know, uh, uh, the new generation, the new flag bearers, uh, which we were. And it was a thrill, you know what I mean? Like to be accepted uh, in this scene, you know, like it's crazy. Like in this music, I was more accepted by people than I was accepted in any other aspect of my life. You know, and these are some of the scariest, craziest people uh, by appearances. But they, but you know, it's there's a lot of there's a lot of love underneath there, and not a lot of judgment. In the early days, it was like a big dysfunctional family. It was a great thing. I was welcomed with open arms. Vinny Stigma, when I first went to a show, first time I played CB, Stigma was in the crowd singing along, diving and singing along to all the songs. After the show, he's like, "Kid, you were great." I go, "How do you know the words?" He's like, "I bought your demo." from Tommy a few weeks ago outside and I listened to it all the time. I was the thrill. What a thrill, but uh, straight ahead, a lot of energy, lifelong friends, you know, that's like set me down the track. Great story. I found my, found my bass style in that band too. The sound and the way I play, it sort of it came together on that end with that band. So speaking on Straight Ahead, why hasn't like why has there never been a reissue or like any of that stuff on streaming services? Well, you know um, that stuff came out on vinyl when it did, and on cassette, and I just always felt like we're the only band from that time practically that didn't do reissues. It's kind of like a, a like a left in its original state. I always thought that was kind of cool, and. Um, you know, maybe I'm wrong about that, but I always felt like it was like a special thing. And if you were there, you saw it and, you know, you could pick it up still and listen to it. But it's not uh, kind of like old school. It's not that easy to find. You got to kind of find it on your own. You got to have the drive to go out and get it. That's kind of how I feel about that, you know? Yeah, yeah. You know, you know how it was back then. It wasn't easy to get this stuff, you know? Oh, trust me. Yeah. I went to every record store in Buffalo looking for the straight ahead 12 inch. You like, had to be there. You had to trade yeah. tapes. You had to really want it, you know? Wasn't at your fingertips, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. How about, um, next one, how about Rest in Pieces? Uh, Rest in Pieces uh, was Armand's band, uh, primarily, you know, was his band. And uh, I was very, very professional. They were like the first really professional band like they're, they were tight. They sounded good. They had good sounds. There was something about them that was like next level in ability to, to, to play out in front of people. And, uh, you know, I played in that band uh, on the second record. And uh, I think I sang backups on it. I was there when they recorded the first record. But a very fun band because once again, I was playing with Rob Echevarria uh, and Armand, who were two people that like the three of us you know really musically we gel like we have this like natural thing we all kind of understand each other we could just be playing and like you don't even have to say it and it just kind of the idea just comes together we have some kind of cohesion between us 
It's like uh, kindred kindred spirits in the in, in music. And uh, I love the. Pre- I think there's a great press photo of you guys too that I remember. I was just oh about that to one, say yeah, that, like, best style. Oh god, yo, no. right there. <laughs> yeah, 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 good right there. Look at that style trench coat. That's great, and that's in the south. No, but like those buildings are. I try. I try to copy uh, fucking Armand style on the back of this like all the time. Best yeah. style, like ever. you know, I had nothing. I was like, what am I gonna wear? Like I was a furniture mover at the time. I was like, all I have is like dirty <laughs> shirts I wear to work. I'm not like the most fashionable guy. And Armand's like, oh, put. He gives me some clothes. He's like, put this on. Put this on. But like reaching into like different people's like dressers and pulling. Put this on, put this on, and I have this like mishmash of who the hell knows what. It's like half borrowed clothes. I think I borrowed Dude, like, like Swarm's like little zip up plastic jacket. Yeah, like like half borrowed clothes, most imitated style in hardcore. <laughs> Just really strange, man. Really strange. Ugh. All right. Um, so just the other day I was looking at at the picture of you on on the back of the, the Youth of Today album. Um which All album on that one. All teeth. So how skinny break, he was. Break down the walls. Break down the walls. I was really. And it's, I, I, it's so crazy because I think it's like you, Richie, Drew, right? <coughs> yeah, Drew, and, Richie, and Ray. Uh, Ray, and Purcell. Yeah. Um, what a crazy lineup. I mean, just amazing. So tell us a little bit. Describe that era of youth of today in a couple words, and maybe if you got a story. I, um, I have a story about that. After you tell this, I want to see if you okay. have a story as told to me by Siv. That, that this that band uh, was just pure energy. It was about live performance. It was about just over the top energy. There was tons of enthusiasm. So just like explosive energy, and, and completely sacrificing even playing the songs where it sounded like music, just to go absolutely ballistic on stage. But uh, you know, it's like a phase you go through where you're, you know, you you're you're, ex- you're like expressing yourself in all these different ways through performance, you know? So uh, that was like the physicality part of it where you didn't even care if you played the songs right. It was uh, it was fun uh, performing with them on stage. And uh, yeah, that was, you know, that, that was like, uh, that was like the first time where a band where I didn't really know the guys beforehand asked me to be in the band. They were like, hey, we want you to be in our band. You know what I mean? Like, cause I played well and I was enthusiastic. So uh, it was like the first time I felt like people from outside my inner circle were like, hey, you have to play with me. You have to play with me. You know what I mean? And did you, I know that Drew played on the record, but when you guys toured, it was Mike Judge playing drums. Yeah. At at first it was Tommy because Tommy hooked up with Mm. those guys and he started playing drums with them. I don't know if they, I don't think they did any shows yet, but he was like jamming with them and stuff. And, uh, they were, I don't know what they were doing, but they had the other bass player. And I think Gavin may have played bass at some of those jam sessions. And then, um, you know, Tommy was like, you got to get Craig. And those guys came to see us play and they were like, yeah, you got to play with us. Cause they saw us play and we jumped around like crazy too. We put on a wild <laughs> show. You know what I mean? Super energetic, like just flipping into the crowd, all of that. You know how it goes. It's yeah, hardcore, mid, some, some, some mid eighties hardcore, you know? Yeah. So ah, great, Sib great told stuff. me a story. Sib told me a story because he used a roadie for Utah today back then about uh I don't think I'm gonna get it completely right, but like at some show he was like you guys went somewhere to do something, maybe get food or something, and like Sib and Ray and maybe somebody else, Raganov, were were hanging out the show, 
and Ray kept popping the skinhead suspenders. And then when the dude would turn around, be like, what the fuck? Ray would be like, I was that guy over there or some shit like that. And it ended up escalating into a fight and Ray hitting him with a chair. Do you, do you remember that? Not exactly. But like, I'll say that Ray, uh, for being a peaceful guy, he was uh, not willing to back off or back down. And he would pretty much go out on a limb sometimes. So he would like kind of start trouble without thinking he was starting trouble or maybe just goofing around and it could easily turn uh, into a situation like uh, he's got some crazy stories like that. You don't, people don't think of youth today as tough guys. And I'm not saying they're tough guys, but I'm saying they're, they're like, they got that hardcore, like wild card, anything could happen at any time thing going on pretty strong, you know, when I think back about to it, you know? Yeah. I mean, there's, I mean, there's even some youth of today stories from Buffalo where things happen. And it yeah, wasn't so much like happen. tough guy fights, but just like not backing down and like yeah, they won't back down. Well, I, was, I talk to John. I have coffee with John sometimes because he he lives near me, and uh, we'll have coffee sometimes. And I'm like, you guys are crazy. Like you guys, like you could have just avoided this time, this situation, but you didn't. He's like, yeah, I don't know what happened. I'm like, no, I know what happened. You guys, instead of walking away, you like forced it into turn into something. So they were a little bit wild like that. You know, you wouldn't think of it. They don't have that label, but they would get a little crazy sometimes. Amazing. Tell us about, uh, describe, describe uh, your time in Agnostic Front. Describe that All band right. at that time. So I, I went in a boy and I came out a man, a very disturbed man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We all, we always say like that, uh, you know, I earn my, like the joke with me and Vinny and everybody is like, you know, you're, you came in with sneakers, you went out with boots. Like I earned my boots in that band. <laughs> um, you know, it was, they were like a, a, a rough and tumble bunch of, of, of guys, you know, they were like, uh, uh, you know, they were like real men, you know, and I was like this young kid and uh, they, 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 you know, situations happened in that band that when, I, I tell kids these stories, you know, like younger kids. I'm like, so one time this happened and the stories almost when I tell them don't make sense to me. And I'm like, they're like, why would anyone ever do something that crazy? You could have avoided that. I'm like, yeah, you know, I, I don't know why it went so South, but it was just the way it was like crazy thing. Like Roger would create situations that were really dangerous just to see like how I would handle it or how we would handle it. So we would like almost put ourselves into the fire just to see, Hey, can we get out of this life and death situation? So all this crazy stuff would happen. And, uh, you know, we always came out okay. But, like, the stories from that era, you know, I can't even, like, I think back on them. It doesn't make sense. When you tell somebody from, you know, a different generation these types of stories, they almost don't understand because it's like, you know, two plus two equals five. Well, who would do that kind of thing? You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, what? Like why did – why did you know Roger tell the the one percent bikers that you kicked over there that you tried to kick over their bikes when you didn't? They were only going to kill you, and I'd be like, yeah, because he wanted to see how I would handle it when I was like seventeen or eighteen when they all came at me. Like, how would I would I be able to get out of it? You know what I mean? Like, re release a pit bull and attack pit bull and see <laughs> see if the kid see see who's going to survive. He'd like release a pit bull that was like you know, I got the attack words in front of the whole band and see, all right, who's going to get out of this? Like real particular shit, man. I got to be honest. <laughs> particular. That's one way of putting it. 
Ugh. So obviously we're building up here. So describe in a word or two, sick of it all. What, what does that mean to you? Uh, sick of it all is uh, like, a, like a steam engine. It just keeps going and going and going. It's uh, a little bit of all those bands are rolling into sick of it all. You know what I mean? There's, an, there's a lot of uh, energetic enthusiasm. There's a lot of comedy. There's a lot of uh, unnecessary uh, wild situations that pop up. Uh, there's a lot of camaraderie. It's like a, it's like a band of brothers that like get along most of the time. So yeah, the cigarette has got a little bit of all of that rolled into one. Like I've known these guys for so long. Like I played in all these bands with Armand. And as long as I've known Armand, I've known Pete and Lou. I was in this band when I was like 13 or probably 13, maybe 13 or 14, however old I was. I was in this neighborhood band with some neighborhood guys. So like Pete and Lou would come to the rehearsals because they lived down the block from this guy and they knew the guy, the drummer, this guy, John Pardini. So they would come to the rehearsals. So I met him there like, hey, this is Pete and Lou. Hey, what's up, guys? Armand came down. He was going to play guitar in the band, but it didn't wind up happening. So like I met those guys right when I started playing in my first actual band that could get through a song. So we've known each other forever, you know, so a lot of ups and downs, a lot of trials and tribulations, you know. It's uh, it's like, you know, you know how they say when you die, your life flashes before your eyes. It's like they'll pop up in that screen for sure. <laughs> <You know? laughs> nice. So this show, th- this podcast, and I'm, I'm doing a lot of talking here. I'm sorry, but this that's podcast. So we got to talk. I love to I'm kind of me- I'm kind of I'm kind of mellow. There. I'm kind of mellow and quiet tonight. So get, try to get me riled up. I'm trying not to. So. Get- this podcast is all about is, is a Buffalo podcast, right? And so we need to kind of get to with all these different groups you've been in. Um, if you have any early memories of, of playing Buffalo, um, I think when sick of it all was playing um, river rock, I think Richie was in, was in the band, but yep. um, we were wondering if you had played river rock um, and uh, if you remember any of the shows in Buffalo earlier, I, I, ha- I have played River Rock. I don't really recall. All I know is that Sick of It All, before I was in the band, they played there and there was like some really bad fight. Like all the neighborhood guys fought mm-hmm. like all the people from the hardcore show. And I remember those guys coming back and being like, yo, it was wild. We were like, like, it was like a life and death situation. So some really crazy stuff happened at that show. Uh, you guys probably know more about that than me because I wasn't there. But um, we actually we want to do an episode that just talks about that. Okay, uh, that and the shelter thing. Uh, oh, the shelter thing! I know that we're, story. We're still, That's bad. Yeah. Ray, 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 and, Ray and John. When I just played with those guys recently, you know, I played that, those couple of gigs with them. They were yeah. talking to me about that story, and that was a pretty wild. That was a really wild story. That was a bad story. I remember hearing that. Yeah. So I remember. I remember playing like the scrapyard with Agnostic Front. That, that I remember straight okay. ahead also straight ahead went up and played in 87. I believe it was 87. We played yeah. up in Buffalo and we, we stayed, we, we played with a uh, zero tolerance, but at the time they were called like new balance. I think mm-hmm. that time think it, was, it was, yeah. Or, new balance. Or maybe it still third man in. I'm not sure. Yeah. Maybe it was new balance. I forget. I think they had just changed their name to new balance and we played with them and we stayed at Crow's house. You remember Crow, a friend of theirs, Crow, big guy. No. Like a college guy, Crow. We stayed at his house, and uh, those guys hooked us up, and uh, we played up there. And uh, then we played Canada the next day, and the kick drum broke. So Armand like 
played with no kick drum. Yeah, typical eighties hardcore, you know. So, uh, so wasn't I sick of it all supposed to play that show? Wasn't sick of it all supposed to play with you guys in Buffalo? Maybe I don't really remember. Maybe something happened where they couldn't. I don't remember. I heard the they exact like band trouble or something. Yeah, maybe some something happened. I remember something like that. All I know is every time from the first time I went to Buffalo, I always felt like that was one of our like home away from home spots. You know, like you went to Buffalo, you felt like, oh, my people are here. This these guys are like you know like extended family there was always a really good vibe there you always felt like comfortable like if anything went wrong if you were trapped stuck you weren't stuck because you could just your friends would help you buffalo always had a great great vibe obviously you know a a little later down the line these guys in snapcase i love these guys like brothers uh smoky you know eric rice uh that's that's my guy like you know all of these guys you know what i mean it's like just a great place you know i have so many friends we had roadies from buffalo and, uh, you know, I love Buffalo. No way around it. Well, Buffalo loved sick of it all for sure. And I remember. I hope you it, still do. I hope you still do. I, was, I feel like I would think Buffalo still does. I mean, I know the, old, the older like crowd the still does. My heart hurts now. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. So I was just going to, I was, Chris and I were talking about a story and it just, it just hit me what, what this story was. So sick of it all in, in Rochester and Mar, uh, um, and Lou says something on stage about zero tolerance. And out of the crowd was like, fuck zero tolerance. And it was these Rochester skinheads that were not down, right? So Lou just said, well, this sure ain't the River Rock. And I remember then like all the Buffalo dudes went wild. And then like the pit turned into like this crazy, insane like fight pit, like on the next song. And we were all going nuts and trying to like squash those skinheads and stuff. But that's the way it goes, man. Yeah, you had you so, had you had you had skinheads in Buffalo up at the scrapyard. I remember that place yeah. It was crazy. Yeah. All right, I mean, okay, there was, there was a, I caught. I caught. There was a presence for a while, but go ahead and tell your story. No, that that's the story. Just I just remembered that there was that you know that that love that we loved. Sick of it all, and still do. And sick yeah, of it all, yeah, love yeah, Buffalo. Yeah. That's and, right. Uh, you know. Huge shows, and what was that, Chris? What was the show that um, in in Lackawanna? Wasn't that with Sepultura? Sick of it all. Oh, was that what the uh uh? Was like that when Sick of It All was doing that metal tour? Like new I know what Titans you're talking about. The they had like a yeah, New, new Titans like on the block. I was I wasn't on that one. That was before I was in the band. All right, I was in AF at that time or whatever. Um, AF did some shows like that though too, didn't they? Yeah, we played a place called the Scrapyard, and it was like a biker bar. And uh, we played with this band, the the band that opened the show. What were they called? Do you remember, Chris? I, if you're talking about the one that I think was No Alibi, but I would have to double check. Yeah, that. I think but No I Alibi. Feel like you guys but played I, a show I, with No I, Alibi. I guess they were like supposedly a, a, a like a, a white power band. I, I can't no say what they were. Yeah. Okay, so we play that and all, and all the bikers like uh, so this biker we're about to play and some biker grabs the mic and he is AF and he goes and now the world's greatest white power band agnostic front and we're like what the fuck who's this guy what's he saying because we weren't into that shit you know what I mean United United strong punks and skins United strong blacks and whites I mean you know it's like some yeah. bullshit. And, uh, you know, but like the, it was fucking wild, like some shit almost popped off and we wound up playing the show. But it was just a 
like some 80s shit, some like grimy, pointless yep. 80s shit. That's just totally negative. You know what I mean? Like there was yeah. like weird, like that whole skinhead thing in the 80s was so weird. Like there was so much of that. And there was so, especially with like AF, there was so many skinheads like around AF. There was so much unnecessary drama with all that bullshit, you know? It got wild. It got in the way a lot, you know? I mean, Crazy I would shit, say it was, uh, I don't know if you were in AF at the time. I feel like you probably were. But there was always kind of, in certain areas, there was always questions about AF because of a particular crowd they would attract at times. And I you, think you, that it was you like can't, you 91. Can't, yeah. People well, show yeah, up. I think it was like you, 91 you know? in Virginia. And you guys all came out in fuck racism shirts and like made it clear there was no doubt where you guys stood. Yeah, we would say stuff all the time, like, yo, there's no need for that. We don't believe in that. But, it, you know, the next show would be a bunch of knuckleheads would show up and do dumb shit anyway. There was no way around it. It was like a a, like a, a symptom of the 80s, which was pretty bad. Yeah. I'm glad all well, You remember you know what I'm talking about when you all came now. out in the fuck racism shirts in Virginia? Uh, I Yeah, I remember or, something like that. I, I remember a situation like that. And I remember there was a big problem with the show. And they threw one of the guys from the other band out. We almost had like a big fight. Uh, this, yeah, it, it, it turns into a mishmash of me remembering bits and pieces. But I do remember something like that. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you about um, sick of it all stuff too here. So I wanted to get into um, when I think of sick of it all for me, I think of hardworking and I, I, being being from Buffalo, being from a Rust Belt city, um, when you start touring the world or touring with bands from other parts of the country, you start to realize the work ethic that comes from places like Buffalo, right? And I think about bands that have that work ethic or just work super hard. And I think of Sick of It All. I think of an, another band from Buffalo, Every Time I Die, they, those guys have done so much. Um, I know from talking to the Avail guys that those guys used to practice they had this place. They would be in there four to six hours a day, five days a week. Um, I know refused uh, working crazy hard when, you know, late 90s. Tell me about Sick of It All and the work ethic, because I know it's got to be different than these other groups you've been in. Um, you know, you and, know, go ahead. AF had a strong work ethic, too, I got to say. It was like um, Sick of It All, it's just there's a show we're going to play it. You don't turn anything down. I mean, you may turn a thing or two down because, you know, you know, it's logistically not possible with where you are the day before. Maybe they don't want to pay uh, enough to make it worth going there, but we're basically about play, 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 keep going, keep going, keep going. We're always looking to play. We're looking to perform. I mean, our touring schedule over the last 20 years was like, you know, unreal how many i don't know how many thousands of shows we would play we've played you know hundreds of shows a year we'd be on tour eight months out of the year so uh the thing is like when you're in a band and it's multiple people four people you there's always you know some people have different ideas like about life and what they want to do they grow up they want to do this or that the four of us myself armand pete and lou 100 percent want to be musicians for as long as we can be we we would like to be musicians our entire lives. This is what we do. This is what we've always done. I've been, I've wanted to be a musician since I was a little kid, picked up the bass at 10 years old, uh, outside of boxing, which, you know, is no, 
no easy task. There's never been anything else that I was super passionate about, like I am about music. So, uh, you know, to have four people that are that uh, single-minded in their approach toward getting it done, you know, I haven't really been in a band that had that singular drive and focus. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's really a great thing, you know? I mean, to have other people that, that for it, you never have to really worry. There's nobody that's going to say, I don't want to do this anymore. Oh, I want to, nobody's saying well, that. This is what, I can this is say out do. of, I still want to do this constantly as much as I can. I mean, I absolutely love it. I've never seen sick of it all, not be 100% on point on stage. Honestly, like, yeah, I can't say it's that about any other band. It's amazing. That's it's a why. privilege, man. It's a privilege to do this, to be born, to be alive, to be able to perform music uh, for people around the world and to sing songs about what you feel is right and, and speak out against injustice. Man, I, I, you know, I couldn't think of a better way to spend a lifetime. You want to uh, talk a little bit about the upcoming uh, Sick of It All AF Crown of Thorns tour? Uh, yeah, we're, we're actually, the first show is in Boston on May 5th. Uh, tour's about three weeks long. Uh, we're going to have a blast. Um, uh, it's a bunch of old friends going on tour. Post all the nonsense of the last couple of years. You know, we're all going to break bread and go out and do this tour. It's going to be great. Going to, uh, you know, New York hardcore in your face kind of thing. And I can't wait. I was just talking to Mike Gallo today. We were making plans for, uh, you know, picking him up and getting his extra merch he has and guitar cabinets and all that kinds of, all that kind of nuts and bolts stuff. And uh, we were like super excited talking. We're talking about where we're going to eat in Boston. What are we going to do? <laughs> like super, super excited. So yeah, I can't wait to do that. You know, we're going to have a lot of laughs. Uh, I can't, I can't wait. I'm like so thrilled thinking about it. We're also doing a West coast run at the end of the summer, uh, you know, so uh, beginning of fall, so that's going to be great too. That's like the you know the other bookend of the tour. Yeah, I yeah. I think wait. the closest it comes to Buffalo is Rochester. Yeah, we have uh, or Syracuse or something like that. Syracuse. It's first show in Boston, second show in Syracuse. So the fifth in Boston, the sixth in Syracuse. I can't wait. I just did a video for uh, the Syracuse show to like promote the Syracuse show. Uh, nice, nice. Last night, have to last talk night, to uh, talk to whoever it is booking shows in Buffalo. How they dropped the ball on that one? Yeah, yeah. People, you know, promoters. You never know what's going to happen. You know. So and, going, uh, going. On I a love tour, to play Buffalo. Going on a tour like that with with Agnostic Front. What What are the bands that Sick of It All plays with that? make sick of it i'll take it up a notch uh well i don't know if we really take it up a notch we kind of just do our thing you know we're always kind of on point but i'll say that like you know the the better the stronger the show is the stronger we're going to come out because you know like it's like a dog if you get excited in front of a dog it gets more excited so it's kind of just you just <laughs> you just he's just feeding into the fire you know what i mean so yeah, you know, you play with Madball, you put on a strong show because the energy's in the air. You can feel it. You play with Snapcase, you put on a good show, the energy's in the air. Uh, you know, with AF, it's going to be the same thing. Plus, like, you listen to AF, like, to me, AF, like, Victim in Pain, 
is like the greatest hardcore record of all time. Bracken, one of the top three greatest hardcore records of all time. I hear those songs. I think about those words. Gives me chills. Gives me goosebumps still to this day. I throw victim in pain on. I, I want to like just plant a flag in the ground. And Dude, like, when they know. when they did that victim in pain set at uh, B&B before COVID, a year or two before COVID, it was like making that right now would be like the greatest thing that's ever happened. Yeah. Like that set was perfect. Like it was perfect. So I remember a show when we toured with you guys in Europe and I think it was... How long was that tour? How long? That tour was like eight weeks, wasn't it? <laughs> it was super long. It was like eight weeks. It, it was. We all lived. We all lived in that bus together. Yeah, yeah. I mean that yeah, that was showers. That was fun, man. So a couple of things. So that tour was like a holy shit moment for us because like we had never been to Europe. We never thought about going to Europe, and now one of our favorite bands is asking us to go to Europe and share a bus, and we're just like, this is insane. This is crazy. We never ever could have imagined this in our wildest dreams. So we go on this tour, and you guys are super cool. You know, first day, all my nerves of like, if you guys are going to be like cool with us, you're going to be, you know, beating us up every day or some shit, you know, like all that went away. You know, you guys were amazing. And then there was obviously that tour uh, camaraderie. But one oh, we of the had a sickest, great time. One of the sickest shows. And I, <laughs> I, I don't remember where it was, but we would kind of come together with some metal tours sometimes. And the one show was with Obituary and I, I forget who else. Oh, yeah. I love those guys. I toured those guys when I was in Agnostic Front in 92. Those guys are great guys. And <clears throat> there was an argument about who was going to headline. <laughs> and you guys should have headlined. And I think it was Obituary, or if it wasn't them, I'm trying to remember who the other band was. They said, no, we, we, we need yeah. to be the headline, and we're, we're more important. We're bigger. And so you guys went on, like, we went on first, and then another band, and then you guys, and then I think it was Obituary. And it was, it might've been the last show of the tour and you guys fucking destroyed the stage. I, I mean, I think Armand picked his whole drum set up over his head and threw it like at the end of the set, like there was confetti. There was, in, it was just insane. And like that poor band had to go on after. And it just was just like, looked like someone dropped a bomb on that stage. I never, I, I never felt worse for a band that had to follow another band, except I kind of remember that because I, because I remember their tour manager was a good friend of mine. I helped him sweep up after we played. I felt kind of messed up that there was shit all over the stage. You know what I mean? I mean, the I cabinets were not guys. Yeah, guys it was guys. nuts. Yeah, I yeah, that a little bit. It was a lot of you remember. Didn't, didn't, didn't you, didn't, wasn't that tour when we played the Black Cat? Do you remember? I do because, um, believe it or not, so what I, I remember is Lou actually took his shirt off on stage and yeah. he said that was like the first <clears throat> time he had ever done that. And uh, well, you, that it was so was hot that you, you hot. just had, I, I would just, I had my bass on, nothing but a pair of shorts. I put my back against my amp and just played and you were going to collapse. It was like, seriously, that's the hottest show the hottest club in the history of live music. I've never experienced a hotter club than the Black Cat. And you remember, it was like a you play in the top corner of this building, and there was all sunlight coming on it all day. It was yeah, the yeah. middle of the summer, no windows. It was seriously, it was so hot that it was like almost killed you. And you remember the other place where the, it was super hot when we played in Castle? Do you remember Castle? Oh, the yeah. Center in Castle. And that was the second hottest show in the history of music. And remember, they had the big windows behind the stage. They had big glass pane windows 
that were like, you know, six feet high and four feet wide. And you'd open them to get to get the air in. And the Germans would say, no, no, you must close them. And it was all farmland. We'd be like, why? They'd be like, we cannot disturb the cows. It's like, what are you <laughs> doing? Dude, dude so, it's, 100, it's 140 degrees in here. Are you kidding me? I you remember that, that tour, stuff, Daryl? I do remember that. And I think that tour was on Scratch the Surface. And I think the festivals were like, um, I, I don't think you guys had that big of a crowd yet at that point. Because I remember Lou taking video or photos of the crowd to show his parents because it was like so massive and it was in Holland maybe. And um, you guys ordered shirts that were supposed to be red and they showed up orange and you guys were really pissed. But and, in reality, um, though, that was the co- that was the color of the Dutch uh, soccer yes. team who just won, who just won like their whole division. And we sold like more shirts and we, we made more money in merchandise. We made enough money in merchandise just that one day to pay off the entire you tour. Sold, and we you were sold like, like oh my the God. whole trailer. You sold the whole trailer like with a whole of trailer merch. full of merch. It was the craziest thing ever. Yeah, I remember that. That was the first time we played the Dynamo Festival. Dynamo, 94. Yes. 94, 70,000 people. First time I played something big like that, I was like, wow. And Come I was on. just I was, thinking... How was a band that came from the River Rock CBGBs tearing up 70,000 people right now? It was it was unbelievable. I remember uh, whoever was our, uh, I think it was, was Squirm with us on that tour. Yes, yeah, Squirm. Squirm. Squirm looked at me right as we were about to start playing. Squirm looked at me. He goes, he goes, it's a long way from Queens, kid. And he like, punched me in the arm. And I went and playing. Squirm, Tim Ensign, and Toby. He, yeah. That was the crew. And, and Inti Carboni. Amazing Andy crew. Carboni. Yeah, 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 oh, yeah. I still talk to Andy. I still talk to all those guys. I just saw Tim uh, at the park on Saturday, the park show. Oh, wow. All those guys. Yeah, yeah. So, and every time I go to Buffalo, I see you. So, Craig, what – so we don't get into, like, side talk about tour stories here too much. Tell us about, like um, – because this is interesting to me. That's what people want to hear. All right, I know, but no, no, but go I, on, go on with your. Train I want to know, you know, the older I get, the more I see the importance behind the things that were done in this scene, the albums that were created, the lyrics that were written, the the shows that were done. But looking at all these groups you've been in, what what do you hope is your legacy as as a figure in this scene? Uh, I'd like to be remembered as a guy who. Wore his heart on his sleeve, wasn't afraid to, uh, wasn't guarded. I'm not guarded. You can, you can, you can shoot arrows at me all day. I'm here to be hit. You know what I mean? Like, I want to just be known as a guy who wore his heart on his sleeve, worked hard, loved it, told the truth, you know, was a decent guy. Like, sometimes I'll see, like, online, somebody will say, like, something like, oh, my son met Craig ahead. He was so courteous. Uh, he made my son's day. And I, I, you know, I really like understand why I like this music so much. That makes me feel better than anything when people like, you know, uh, uh, when you can make somebody feel good because this thing that we all do, I think of it as a lot more than just a good time. It's like I was saying earlier, it's a, it's a real statement. I feel like it's a real, you know, it's like a, a important social movement um, at a very important time in the world now more than ever, um, you know, who knows how long this will go on, who knows how long things like music and free expression will continue. 
because we're at a point now where it seems like um, things are way more regulated than they used to be and censored. So uh, I really feel like uh, it's very important what we do. And um, I just want to remember it as a, as a person who spoke the truth and, uh, you know, fought for the rights of the common man, I guess, through music. Nice. Yeah, man. I feel like that's a wrap-up point, even though it's less than an hour. Toot, toot in my own horn, huh? <laughs> right there. <laughs> no, it's great. It's great. But I'm going to add a little thing real quick. Uh, so let me just say this for the record. Daryl is my friend. I spent a lot of time on tour with him. I love him. And uh, Chris, Chris, you know, the host here, has done some nice things for me, hosts. too. Chris is yeah, well, Chris is a good – I don't know the other gentleman, but, Chris, you've done some nice things for me. I won't go into the details, but you you helped me out, man. You brought me into that thing for a little while. That was great. Yeah, man. Thank you. I'll bring you back, too, when, you know, when I get an opportunity. Sounds great. But uh, real quick, five bands from the 80s, and preferably hardcore punk specific, but, like, what are five bands from the 80s of that, like, you were stoked on? Bad Brains, Agnostic Front. Chromags, Minor Threat, Murphy's Law. Bands I love, bands I love are from the 80s. Bands, when it comes to this type of music, the bands that I absolutely love are 80s bands. There's only, yeah, a, yeah. you know, it's a, like there's just a couple of 90s bands that I absolutely love. I mean, obviously I would say Mad Bull, but they're kind of like an 80s. Well, technically, are they an 80s band? What was that? I, I would say they're a 90s band. Let me tell you, um, uh, the first Madball 7-inch, I was supposed to play bass on it. And I showed up like like 90 minutes, two hours late to the to Don Fury's to record. And I had my red, you know, I had red with me. And uh, Stigma was like, kid, you're two hours late. You were kicking you out of the band. And I was like, <laughs> oh, damn it. And they're like, Roger's going to use red and play on the record. And I was with Mark Ryan, you know, from Super Touch. And he goes, uh, he goes, don't worry, you and Mark, you guys, you'll sing backups. So I was like, okay, we sang backups on the record. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. A, pr- a pretty good story. It's a pretty good story. How, how is Red? Red still exists? Red, of course, Red. Red will always exist. Red still exists. Red's like sitting on the, on the wall, hanging on the wall in my apartment. I Which actually just played like Red on the, on the new Blood Clot EP. I just took Red out to track the new Blood Clot EP. They had their thing recorded, no bass on it. So they gave me the tracks and they said, hey, play bass on this. So I listened to it, some good music, and I wrote some nice bass lines, and it sounds really good. This is how I will remember Craig. Craig saying, this is my bass. This bass is red. Every scar is a story, kid. And that's what... There's a lot of scars on that bass, and every scar is a story. And I just always remember Craig saying that. I had red on that tour, huh? I used to bring red out all the time. Then at a certain point, I started bringing other bases because I was like, well, Red's like beat up. I don't want to like, I want to use it for the studio and for New York shows, you know? So I kind of leave her home most of the time, you know? My mother bought me that base in 1983. We had no money. And that was like all of our savings. She's like, no, Craig, I know you loved what you're doing. You need a base. If you really like this base, you know, we'll just get it and just, you know, just use it and, you know, make sure you make it worth the money we're spending. Oh, definitely did Dude, that. Almost 
40 years later, you've definitely done that. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Wow. Fun stuff. Five best pizza places in the U.S. Uh, Amore Pizza in Flushing, Queens. Uh, for a regular after-school traditional slice, uh, I would say um, L&B, Spumoni Gardens for a square, which is a Brooklyn place. Frank Pepe's for an uh, old-school, old-world pizza. Uh, you know, I'm going to go Pizza Town in New Jersey just to throw Jersey in there because I really love their pizza. What is that, four? Yeah. Uh, fifth. What's a fifth? Uh, 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 you know, maybe maybe I could go with uh, the square on Avondale since it's like a uh, kind of like an L&B style pizza. It's, it's a shame that you're not playing in Buffalo because I would make someone take you on a pizza tour of Buffalo to see if we could shake this New York off of you. Well, I mentioned Connecticut. You know, I mentioned a few places, you know. Yeah, it's all New York. Uh, I can't. Uh, I threw a jersey in there, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> suburb, just a New York suburb. Wow. Well, thanks, Craig. Thanks for coming on. All right. All right, guys. Great to see you, Daryl. Great to see you, too. Yeah, Chris. good to see you, too. And to the other gentlemen, thank you. Yeah, they say thanks, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. This was fun. Thanks a lot, Craig. All right, and thank you, and thank you, and thank you, Mark and Chris, for having me.